Thank you for listening to the Calvary Chapel Lubbock podcast. Our mission of teaching people to love God by showing them how much He loves us starts right now. John Patton, guys, was a missionary. He was a missionary with his wife in New Hybrids uh, Islands, the New Hybrids Islands. And one night, as he was a missionary with his wife, there was these hostile natives, and they had surrounded the mission station. They had just kind of surrounded who they were, and basically their intent was to burn down the mission statement and kill both John and his wife and all the other missionaries. Well... Uh, Peyton and, and his wife, um, they just began to pray. And as they were prayed, the, you know, that night, terror-filled, they were, they were just praying to God and that God would deliver them and God would rescue them. And I mean, here, I mean, their lives are just, this is what's going on. And, and, uh, they just prayed all through the night. And when the morning came, daylight broke, they came and they were amazed to see that all of the hostile natives, all of the attackers had left. That was, and he was just kind of going, wow, what? What is that about? Well, a year later, the chief of the natives got saved. He actually came to Christ. And John recalls a meeting. He says, I had a meeting with the chief, and, and I went to him, and now that he was a Christian, um, he said, he asked the chief, hey, chief, what kept you from burning down the house and killing us? The chief replied in surprise. He's like, um, well, who are all those men with you? Peyton said, there were no men present, but the chief said, yes, there were. He was afraid to attack because he'd seen hundreds of men in shining garments with drawn swords circling the mission statement. I thought, wow, could you imagine? Could you imagine there you are, you're called as a missionary to go out, to spread the good news, to tell people about Jesus Christ, and there you are, and you find out that now you've got some hostile natives coming in and wanting to kill you. They want to burn everything down. You grab your wife, you look at her, you're thinking, man, this could be the last day I see her. You get on your knees, you pray, nothing happens. You wake up the next morning, a year later, you're going, well, what happened? He's like, I wasn't going to attack. There were men everywhere. There were men everywhere. They, they had, I mean, we had you surrounded, but we weren't going to attack. And finding out that God had actually, what, delivered the missionaries from the hostile natives. Guys, if you're taking note, this story represents really what Jeremiah 29, 11 is about. You go, what's that? Well, it's actually twofold. Number one, we see that it's deliverance. Deliverance, that's what it's all about. We're going to see God deliver Israel. You go, how so? Well, in verses 10 to 14 of chapter 29, Israel is waiting. They're in a bind, but they're waiting God's deliverance, right? The problem is it's going to be after 70 years. Well, that's a long time, but they're waiting. That's their hope. It's deliverance. You go, well, what's the other one? Well, we can see throughout all of chapter 29, okay? All of chapter 9, 29 is that this is a story of redemption, not only do we have deliverance, but we have redemption. That's what, the, that's what the illustration was all about. You go, this story is an amazing story that points us to a greater redemption for all of God's people. You go, how's that? Well, ultimately, it would be through Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. That's, that's how we would be, what? Redeemed. To bring deliverance and redemption to mankind. 
When you look at Jeremiah 29, 11, there's a lot of us who know it. There's a lot of us who, that's our, that, you know, that's our coffee cup mug. That's our life verse. Some of you may already have it memorized. That's your verse, Jeremiah 29. You can say it when you send an email or you send a letter. You say, you sign it with Jer 2911. That's your jam. But, but I think about those so many people who have taken this one verse out of context and say, that's my promise. That's my, that's the promise. And I started looking at it and I started thinking, man, this is really misquoted, misunderstood. Well, Let's take for a moment to see what Jeremiah wrote under the power of the Holy Spirit. He, we pull out this one verse, but notice what it goes. He's, it says this, Jeremiah 29, 11. I'm reading from the New King James Version. I want you to see how he says it. He says, for, for I know the thoughts that I have toward you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil to give you a future and a hope. How many of you know that verse? How many of you remember, know that verse real well? Jeremiah 20. Yeah, it's a great verse, isn't it? It's like, wow, for I know the thoughts that I think you said. Lord, thank you for thinking of me. Thoughts of peace and not of evil to give you a future and a hope. But for the sake of our study, let me give you some other ways we've heard this verse. I quoted from the New King James Version. Let me quote from the New Living Translation. A lot of people use that. It says, for I know the plans. So he changes thoughts to plans. Though I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord, they are plans for, for good and not for disaster to give you a future and a hope. How many of you like plans? We all like plans. It's like, okay, I like that. I like the New Living Translation. How about the, how about the English uh, Standard Version? It goes like this. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for welfare and not evil, to give you a future and a hope. The NIV reads it like this, and here's where it differs a little bit. See if you catch it. The NIV reads, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you plans to give you a future and hope so guys and it all sums up i mean i mean there's all different translations though i know the thoughts though i know the plans plans that are good plans to prosper you and so we jump on this right we jump on this but let me give you some key words guys let me give you some key words that i believe as we look at these verses some key words that drives people to misunderstand and misuse this verse you ready jot this down the first one is plans Plans, though I know the plans I have for you. And you go, well, what are plans? Well, of course, we all want plans. I mean, they're a, a detailed diagram drawing or program in particular. I want that. The problem with wa- a, a problem with the walk of faith is we don't know what comes tomorrow. And we would like to know. Hey, listen, I would like to know all of my plans. God, listen. And here's what we want to do, church. We want to be able to see the parade, not one float at a time. We want to see the parade from the beginning to the end. Though I know the plan, this is my plan. This is my life. Okay. But right now, as life goes by, it's one float at a time. All right. I don't know what happens next. Jeremiah 29, 11. Right? So that's the word we use. We use the word plans. Uh, another word taken from the NIV that a lot of people use that I believe derails them in this verse is the word prosper, right? Prosper. When we think of prosper, so many times we think of financial prosperity, financial blessings, material blessings. And so we'll take the NIV verse and we'll stand out and say, Lord, you want me to prosper. You want me to do well. You want me to make a lot. How much money, God? Yeah, I think I know. I want to make a little more than that. Right? Prosper or, 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 you know, just other blessings. You're just like, wow. 
And of course, I love the last two. Every verse has them, a future and a hope. Who doesn't want a future, right? I hope, I mean, I mean, I don't think anybody wakes up in the morning and goes, oh, I can't wait for my future. I hope it's horrible. I hope I wake up broke in 20 years. I hope I wake up homeless. Nobody does that. So future to us makes it go, man, I want something better. Listen, I'm looking at life circumstances around me and I'm going, God, you have a plan and a, and a, and a future and a hope. It's going to be good. I can't wait to get there. And so a lot of people will take these words individually and it derails them just a little bit. Jeremiah 29.11. Guys, listen. If you were starting a business and you wanted to motivate your employees, okay, we got a five-year goal. We want to hit our five-year goal in nine months. This would be a great verse to put on a motivational poster, wouldn't it? I mean, you put that on and people around you are like, yeah. This verse can really motivate a person to see beyond your current circumstances onto a brighter future. It's a great motivational verse. This verse, guys, also too often is quoted during times of trial and strife to encourage, to inspire. How? By pointing out the promise that God says he's going to give you a detailed plan, a detailed roadmap of your life. Okay, so right now I'm going through the thick of it. Right now I'm having a really hard time. So, okay, that's what I need. That's what I need. I need the promise of God and a specific lens to help me. So in essence, guys, when we take Jeremiah 29, 11, and we tag it as a promise to us, here's what ultimately what people are saying. You ready? Don't worry. Life is going to be good. Don't worry. Don't worry. Now, here's what I want you to do. Think about all of the trial or strife that you've ever got, like the hard times in your life. Think about that, okay? I'm not talking the short waves that you karate kid, you know what I'm talking about? I'm talking about the big waves that are going to knock you down. And you go, okay, Jeremiah 29, 11, as you wait for impact. And you're in all of your mind, you're thinking what? Okay, it's going to be good. Don't worry. God has a plan. God has a plan. Jeremiah 29, that's my promise. That's my promise. That's my promise. If you were here last week, you remember I told you the story of Nathalie and I going to the lighthouse, right? And in the lighthouse, um, listen, I, for some reason, I'm deathly afraid of heights. I mean, like, this doesn't bother me, but, you know, getting really high. And so, remember, I got up about halfway, and I was just like, I mean, I just froze. And I was, I was saying, listen, I could have quote, what, Philippians 4.13, right? I can do all things. Come on, I can do it. I can do it. I can do it. Well, this would have been another great verse. Why? Because there was a lot of strife and a lot of trial. Why? I wanted to go up to the top. I wanted to see the view. You know? I mean, think about it. Guys, I am there with my best friend, and we're supposed to do something together, and it would have been so cool to take a selfie, you know, with the ocean behind us. It would have been awesome. But I couldn't get... This would have been a great verse, Jeremiah 29, 11, wouldn't it? Okay, though I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans that are good. Okay, it's good. Step up. Plans for a future and a hope. You see, a lot of people will use that to motivate you to take the next step. And then I was thinking about the verse, guys, I was thinking about this, and I'm thinking Philippians 4.13, and then still I was frozen against the wall. Couldn't wait to touch the ground. When it came down, I started kissing the ground, said, okay, I'm glad to be on the floor again. But think about this for a minute. And this is a wonderful and beautiful verse, is it not? I mean, it's everywhere. It's everywhere. Everything's from greeting cards. Jeremiah 29.11. 
to Facebook posts. A lot of people will use that. From everything from greeting cards to banners to people's life verse. I mean, it's everywhere. It's everywhere. As a matter of fact, I have to be honest. I think from time to time, I've actually used that verse out of context. I know, dun, 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 guilty. Right? Because it's a great verse. I mean, you're up here preaching. You're on the 90. You're excited. You go, listen, God has a plan for you. And Jeremiah. And then he's just like, okay, you just took that out of context. But I understand why it's a great verse. You go, why? I mean, think about it, church. It's easy to memorize. It's easy to memorize, though I know the plans I have for you, plans to prosper you, you know, give you a future and a hope. I mean, it's really good. It's not too difficult to understand. It's a powerful message with a great promise. I mean, what's not to like about it? And I know a lot of people will go, Ben, Ben, calm down. Listen, Jeremiah, listen, that's my life verse. Don't take it from me. But there's a lot of people who do misuse that, guys. Why? Well, here's the thing. It seems to promise prosperity. If you just quote this verse, things are going to get better. You're going to get way better. You're going to get rich. Or it seems to promise protection. Or it seems to promise a hope for a future, you know, for a great future. These things are every Christian want to become a reality. I want those things. Why? I want prosperity. I want protection. I want, I want a, a future and a hope, especially me. But in context, what does it really mean? Why? Okay. Remember, when you take a verse out of context, what does it become? It becomes a pretext, and then you can make it say anything you want. That's rule number one. Rule number two is the 2020 rule. You guys remember that last week? Whenever you find a verse, and you might love the verse, and it might be your life verse, but you've got to remember, always read 20 verses before it and 20 verses behind it so you get the full context. Jeremiah 29.11, I think, is a lot like the American dream with God's endorsement on it. That God wants to bless our lives right here, right now, just as long as I've committed to seek him. That's what God's going to do. And I think a lot of people, a lot of people misuse this. I think when we talked about, you know, Philippians 4.13 and Jeremiah 29.11, we can all agree that we have to be so careful with what I call bumper sticker Christianity. Bumper sticker Christianity. Why? Because it quickly falls apart. You go, how so? Well, here's the problem. When we stand and say, that's my verse, Philippians 4.13, Romans 8.28, Jeremiah 29.11, and we stand upon that verse, and as we're going to see in our story just a little bit later on, it can quickly fall apart when it doesn't go the way you think it should go. Remember last week we said there's a lot of people who will get so discouraged, they'll throw the baby out with the bathwater because they'll just, they'll just renounce all of Scripture and go, well, that promise didn't work for me. Guys, I think of, I think of this, you know, a lot of people will claim this as a promise. You ready? How many of you heard, train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it? How many of you hold that, hold that verse? We claim that as a promise, and then your kid runs away, and you're like, what gives? What do you mean? And your kid leaves the faith, and your kid gets wild, and your kid's like out of control, and you're like, I raised him in the ways of the Lord. I mean, we were at church all the time, and now look at this. Well, guess what, guys? That's not a promise. It's a proverb. And again, that's what that's bumper sticker Christianity. We have to be so careful because it falls apart. And then when it falls apart, what do we do? We throw out God with it. Jeremiah 
is one of those verses. Verse 11 is one of those verses in what we call the ultimate refrigerator verse. How many times have you heard people quote this verse? I've heard probably as much as John 3.16, right? The problem is there's a lot of people who don't quote it under the context of what it really is supposed to be taught in. And you go, well, how so? Well, let me read you an article from Revelant uh, Magazine. It's one person's story about this verse, okay? And he's writing, and, and here's his story. He goes, a teacher of mine once proclaimed, and I nodded, Uh, in agreement. When I first heard the teacher say that, but to be honest, I couldn't tell you what it meant. What's he talking about? He's talking about Jeremiah 29, 11. For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil to give you a future and a hope. And so he goes on to say, now what's wrong with applying this to our lives? Well, here's how the story goes. You ready? He says, I learned this the hard way. He said, I first had the promise of Jeremiah 29 offered to me in a greeting card at my college graduation. It was two precious moment type figures prayed on the front of the card. On the inside of the cards was God's promise to give me a future and a hope. Naturally, naturally, I knew exactly what God's future and hope meant for a person in my situation. I just graduated from college, so I needed to get a job. Job, that's my future, that's my hope, he goes on to write. So I began to look for work, and the verse of Jeremiah, verse 29 and 11, says this. It was a boost of my confidence. He says, I spent the next year trying to find work. I sent out hundreds of emails, revised dozens of resumes and cover letters, I perfected the, quote, just checking to see if you receive my application. I would like to set up a time to talk phone call. I had a few good interviews, but no offers. In this rather pitiful way, my job-seeking failures invoked a crisis. What was that? What was God waiting for, he writes. I asked, where was my future? Where was my hope? And why was God not providing for me? As I waited for the answers to these questions, I learned how to read Jeremiah 29 differently. And even more importantly, how to recognize the subtle way that in my view of God had been twisted out of shape. Unquote. See, that's what a lot of us do. That's how a lot of people misuse this. They'll say, okay, this is my future, this is my hope. And again, what has happened, church, is that bumper sticker Christianity, he's always like, listen, listen, for you it may not be a job, for you it might be something else, for you it might be a a relationship or whatever it might be, and you're sitting here and you're quoting this as a promise and and you're you're missing the context. And I get the fact, guys, that it's one of the most popular verses in all of the 66 books of the Bible. I get that. I mean, I believe it's been printed probably on millions of keychains and cell phone cases and coffee mugs. You guys know that. And it really does sort of function like Philippians 4.13. Many people will recite it. They'll be like, okay, if I can't have Philippians 4.13, Jeremiah 20, I'm in this trial. Jeremiah, the outcome. You know, God has a plan for me. I'm going to stick close to that. He's going to prosper me even when I don't see it. Well, in order to understand what... Jeremiah was saying we have to do some work, okay? 
So that's how people misuse it. They'll, they'll put it on a life verse and they'll, they'll walk around and they'll quote it out of context and they'll, they have no clue really what it's saying. But let me tell you, let's go back. Let's talk about what it's saying, right? Because it's so much deeper. The word of God has been told to us, guys, that it is, it is shallow enough for a kid to play in, but it's deep enough for an elephant to drown in. And that's the word of God. And so again, in context, let's go back and let's really see what Jeremiah 29, 11 means in context. In order to do that, guys, we have to do some work, okay? We have to do a little bit of work. For us to understand what Jeremiah is saying in verse 11, we need to look way back, a little bit farther back of what's going on in the whole book, okay? So here's kind of what's happening. Now, before I jump into the history, I want you to see if you can parallel anything going on in our country that matches what Israel was going through, okay? I'm going to see if you can see if you get it, okay? There's going to be some great nuggets of application. So, the book of Jeremiah was written in a time of history in which was really bad for God's people. Okay? How was it bad? Guys, the kings were corrupt. And the spiritual leaders were filled with corruption. Does that sound familiar at all? The people themselves had disobeyed God's commands. The people had compromised their character and actually broken the covenant that God made with them through Moses. The people as a whole had turned their back on God. And as a result of their rebellion, what does God do? What does God do in any situation when there's rebellion in the Old Testament? He raises up a prophet to pronounce judgment. And that's what God does. He raises up a fellow by the name of Jeremiah. Okay? And that's where Jeremiah comes in. Think about it. Guys, think about what's going on. The the people, the kings, the spiritual leaders, all corrupt. Broken, rebellion, running after idols. Does that sound like anyone? Sound like... So God raises up Jeremiah. Jeremiah, you're my prophet. Yes, sir. Here's your job. Your job is to proclaim judgment and wrath upon the people of God as a consequence to their sin. Now, let me stop you right there, okay? God's going to raise up... Church, listen to me. God's going to raise up the Babylonians as a consequence to Israel's sin. In the same way, church, God is going to, God has sent his son to take on the consequence for your sin. Back in the Old Testament, he was, he, he, he was pointing towards Jesus, but right here, he's going to raise up the Babylonians, okay? And here's what they're going to do. Specifically, this judgment They were to be conquered by their enemies, the Babylonians, carried off to exile for a very long time. Actually, 70 years. Everybody say 70. I want you to know that because I'm going to keep using that, okay? So what was Jeremiah's job? His job was to deliver this message. For example, Jeremiah 25 and 11, he says this to the Israelites. He says this, and this, the whole land, shall be a desolation and an astonishment. And these nations shall serve the king of Babylon 70 years. So in Jeremiah 25, 11, he declares to Israel, it's going to be 70 years of judgment. Everybody got that? 70 years. That's going to be a real bummer, but it's 70 years. Now, here's the problem. 
Jeremiah delivers the message of judgment. And as we read on throughout the book, he predicted and the judgment and the exile begins, right? Babylonians come in, they take Israel off to exile. Well, here's the problem. Let's see if you can parallel this. The problem is if you read just a little bit farther in Jeremiah 28, guess what happens? You go, what's that? A false prophet emerges by the name of Hananiah. And he starts preaching a softer, different message than Jeremiah. Can you believe that? The message that Hananiah preaches, oh, it was an instant hit with the people. Why? Because here's what he said. He said, now, now listen, listen. I don't know what Jeremiah was talking about, but thus says the Lord. It's only going to be two years, y'all. Two years and you're going to be back in your land. God's going to want, I'm paraphrasing, okay? So you're, not, you're, you're going to be looking for, because I didn't say that. You know, y'all going to be back in the land. It's going to be good. We're going to wipe out, you know, Babylon. How many years? Two. Everybody say two. That was a false prophet. Of course, now, now listen, let, let's just shoot just straight in church, okay? Can, can we be honest in church? If I were to come up here and go, okay, listen here, thus says the Lord, 70 years we're going to be in bondage. Who's with me? Nobody going to raise their hand. 70. How, how many? Seven, zero, right? But if I come up and, and you got another guy going, hey, don't listen to Ben. It's going to be two. Who's with me? Everybody be like, two, right? It's a popular message. It's a popular message. Can I say this to you, church? Can I say this to you? That's going on in our world today on a spiritual level. And in order to gain crowds, a lot of, a lot of pastors and preachers and teachers and TV, they're softening the message. They're softening the message because it's like, hey, don't, don't be so harsh. And, and a lot of them are like, are like Hananiah going, guys, it's not going to be 70. Calm down. And yet, when it comes to sin, when it comes to sin, here's what we try to do. We try to soften the blow of sin. Ah, oh, it's all right. Y'all all right. You know, sin is sin. Man, listen. It's just going to be what you do. Listen, I heard a story. I heard a story of a couple, a couple who were, they were um, dating and they went, they were struggling in their intimacy. They were, they were wanting to have some premarital sex and they went to a pastor and you know what the pastor told them? Uh, go ahead and sleep with her and just ask for forgiveness tomorrow. And I was like, I heard the story. I'm like, What? Ah, you're going to do it anyway. Just, just, just go for it. Just ask God. God's a God of grace and forgiveness. Just ask him tomorrow. It's like, no, listen, that's exactly what Hananiah is doing. He's softening the message. He's going, no, no, no. Listen, at Calvary Chapel, guys, listen, we're going to teach the whole counsel of God from Genesis to Revelation. And there's some times where it's like, oh, you're stepping on my toes. That hurts. I know. I'd rather do that. I'd rather do that than to be like, hey, y'all all right. No, we, we need to deal with sin. How do we deal with sin? Guys, there's a word that a lot of people have just, just laid by the wayside. It's the word repentance. It's not taught in church anymore. It's, it's not taught. Why? Because people don't want to hear repent. You mean I have to change? Who said I have to change? I don't want to change. I like my lifestyle. I just want to go to heaven too. No, God says, listen, you need to repent. You need to turn from that way. And you need to follow the cross of Christ. You need to be obedient. to ah. 
I'm going to follow Hananiah. Well, guess what? Hananiah is not right. He basically tells tens of thousands of people that what? That living in exile would come home. They'd come home soon. The problem was it was different than Jeremiah. Listen, church, here's the thing. Make sure that what you're hearing and what you're reading is not different than this. What does that mean? Whatever I say from this pulpit and whatever you hear, it needs to line up with Scripture. It has to. Don't just take my word for it. Please don't come in here blindly going, Pastor Ben said, go look for yourself. Why? Because that's what good Bereans do. I want to make sure that what Pastor Ben said is true in, in the word of God. Because here's the thing. Hananiah is saying one thing. Jeremiah is saying another. And the people are going, you know, I really like, <laughs> I like Hananiah better, man. You know? Why? Well, listen. I'm 50 years old. And if, and if I have to, go, if I have to um, go into judgment for 70 years, guess what that means? I'm never going to see my loved ones again. I'm going to leave the place. But listen, if it's two, I'll be back in two, right? Guess what? Jeremiah actually confronts Hananiah, and he says, and he has a face-to-face with him, and he says, hey, man, God's going to judge you for, for, uh, for these false claims. And he says, and Hananiah, you're going to die this year. And it tells us in Jeremiah 28, 15 through 17, it says, Then the prophet Jeremiah said to Hananiah the prophet, Hear now, Hananiah, the Lord has not sent you, but you make this people trust in a lie. Therefore, thus says the Lord, Behold, I will cast you from the face of the earth. This you shall die. This year you shall die because you have taught rebellion against the Lord. So Hananiah the prophet died the same year in the seventh month. So let me just say this. Things are bad all over. Okay, you got Jeremiah prophesying some, I mean, it's just, it's just brutal judgment. Hananiah's trying to soften the blow. He's like, no, that's not it. You got to stick to the word of God. So when most people come to chapter 29, guys, they come to it like it's good news. Tell God has a plan for me. But in reality, if you understand the state in which God's people were in when this chapter begins, You go, what's that? Could you imagine with me for just a moment? Guys, the people up until this point have suffered terribly. There they were minding their own business and because they were disobedient to God, because they had turned from the commandments of Moses, because they were in rebellion, God says, listen, I've got to do this. And now all of a sudden the enemy comes in and wipes them out. I mean, this is full on battle, right? Comes in. I mean, it wasn't like, hey, how many of you want to go to Babylon? (laughs) Follow me. It's like, boom. And all of a sudden, they're suffering terribly. The second thing is, they lost their land. And I think about this, this is crazy. Could you imagine? Could you imagine somebody coming into your house right now and saying, all of this is mine, you have no say-so. I'm taking it. And they have every right to take it. They've lost their land. They lost the place of worship. They've lost the temple. And then they were forced to march 800 miles and paraded through a pagan city. And they were told that they would never get out of slavery for 70 years. And this meant that many of them would die in a foreign land, displaced from their homes and their loved ones. Guys, that's hard enough as it is. Jeremiah 29, this is what's going on. You guys feel the weight of it? It's like, wow, I didn't realize that. And of course, for the sake of our time, we're going to pick it up just a few verses so you get it. 
When we come to 29, here's what's happening. All of a sudden, guys, 29 is a letter written to those that are in captivity. And it was about to 3,000 plus Jews that had been taken to Babylon. And here's the letter. Here's what the letter is all about. 29 is actually a letter, and it's to exhort them to go, listen, you're in slavery, but I want you to live a life as normal as possible. And then wait for God's deliverance and redemption. How many years? 70. Do you remember it was the prophet Daniel who was reading the book of Jeremiah that said, 70 years is almost up. We almost get to go home. He actually read this verse. Here's the letter. You ready? Picking it up in verse 10. For thus says the Lord, after 70 years are completed at Babylon. Hananiah is already gone. Message is gone. 70 years. He says, I will visit you and perform my good word toward you and cause you to return to it. Look at the hope there. When does the hope come? After 70 years. Look at verse 11. For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. And what happens after that, Lord? He says, then you will call to me and go and pray to me and I will listen to you and you will seek me and find me when you search for me with all of your heart. Israel, listen, that's what you're gonna do. After 70 years, you're gonna go back. After 70 years, you're gonna, you're gonna pray and I'm gonna listen. And I will be found in you, says the Lord, and I will bring you back from your captivity. I will gather you from all the nations and all the places where I have driven you, says the Lord. And I will bring you to the place from which I caused you to be carried away captive. Captive. You guys see the context? The context is they were in a really, really bad place. 70 years is almost up. And he says, when 70 years is done, listen, I'm going to give you a future. I'm going to give you a hope. I'm going to redeem you. And I'm going to deliver you out of Babylon back into your place. Back into your place. And yet, here's the problem, church. The problem is somebody will take one verse and they'll insert a few words like the NIV. And they'll say, wait a minute. Wait, whoa, whoa, whoa. Though I know the plans I have for you, declare plans to prosper. I want to prosper. Where's prosper? Where's Prosper on this? And then they don't understand that the word prosper is not necessary. I mean, God's not telling Israel here what? He's not saying, listen, listen, you're going to go back to, listen, you're going to go back to Jerusalem and it's all, it's, man, it's a yellow brick road all the way. It's gold, gold bars all the way back and you're going to have all of this stuff and it's going to be good, right? Why? Because what happened? You guys remember? Ezra built the temple right? Nehemiah built the wall and they had opposition all the way through, right? So we got to look at that word prosper in just a moment, but let's just dissect this real quick, okay? Let's just dissect it. The exiled Jews lived in an experience of God's judgment upon their nation. It was easy then for think that God was against them. Ever been there? A lot of times when we feel like we're just in a mess, we're like, why is God against me? And it was easy for them to think that, that he intended them to be there forever. I mean, it's 70 years. God said 70, but they're probably going, man, we're in it for, we're in it for long haul. Jeremiah comes up and he assures them. He goes, God, listen, guys, listen, listen, it's 70 years. It's 70 years. It's 70 years. Listen, God, God's thoughts towards you of peace and not of evil. He, he has a heart that's going to give you a future and a hope. Now, here's what I want you to see, okay? Here's how it applies to our lives. Even in this horrible situation, Jeremiah promised the Israelites that God had a plan for them. Can I get an amen? But this is an, but 
And this important, the plan that God had promised, guys, would not unfold in Israel's timetable. Nor would it endue Israel's current hardship. Are you guys tracking with me? You go, whoa, whoa, what did you just say? God goes, listen, guys, I have a plan for your life. It's going to be amazing. I, I, 70 years, I'm going to take you back, and I, I'm going to have a plan. As a matter of fact, in 2017, Israel will still be a nation. That's the plan. But at the point, guys, Israel would, would be saying what we say. When? Guys, God, you have a future and a hope. How about now? Could you undo this? And isn't that what we do? We will stand upon who God is, but oftentimes he looks way past our future. And he says, no, no, I've got a, I've got a hope for you. And it, it doesn't mean your current situation is going to get better just yet, but hang on, hang on. You know what my favorite saying was? God, get me out of this one. Anybody ever pray that? God, get me out of If you get me out of this one, I'll serve you. God, get me out of this mess. <laughs> That wasn't God's future or God's plan. You see, God's promise was of a future redemption where God would restore, where God would fully restore his people and bring them out of captivity. Well, Ben, what about prosper? I mean, didn't God really prosper them? Well, here's the thing, guys. Here's the thing. If you're taking note, we often use the word prosper, Right, we prosper, he plans to prosper us, and we think of material or financial blessings. But if you have a pencil handy, you can write that word, and and it actually is in the context of salvation. It's not it's not a it's not a material blessing. It's salvation. And some might say, well, God still wants us to prosper. Well, in the co- in this context, if you're going to use Jeremiah twenty nine eleven, yes, He wants to prosper you in terms of salvation. In terms of salvation. So what can we learn? What can we learn? Okay, let's talk application. Pastor Ben, I've got a question. Are you saying that God really doesn't have a plan for me or a purpose? Or Here's what I'm saying. Because of who God is, yes, he has a plan for you. And he has a great future for you, and he's going to guide you. It's going to be amazing. You see, here's the thing. God doesn't look down and go, oh, you know, you didn't do this, or you didn't do that, or shame on you. God has a plan for all of us. That's the nature of God. Amen? So, but we can't take a verse and sign our name to it and, and stand upon the promise because when it doesn't happen, then we get so discouraged. Guys, we get so discouraged that people actually walk away from God thinking that God doesn't love them. And isn't that the number one lie the enemy wants to tell you? The enemy, the number one lie the enemy says is God does not love you. If God loved you, you're situation would be better, your circumstances would be great, you'd have money in the bank, and we'd all be having a great, great time. But that's, that's the number one lie. God loves you regardless of what you're going through right now. He does. He does. So God has a plan. God has a great future because of who he is. Can I just say this to you? Can I say this to you? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to close, guys. I'm going to close with, with the, 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 the full meaning of Jeremiah 29. The full meaning. I'm going to close with that. But let me just say this, okay? In Acts chapter 3, there is a crippled man. And he's been crippled since birth. 
And he has been carried by his friends every single day of his life to something called the gate beautiful. And I find that interesting, right? The beautiful gate, but there he is. And you know what his only job is? To beg for money. That's all he can do. He's to beg for money. God, please, please give me some money, please, right? And as people walk by, can I have some money? Right? That's how he's going to make, that's how he's going to make ends meet. That's how he's going to make ends meet. So he's like, God, please. Peter and John are going to the temple and they cross this guy. What does he do? He goes, can I have some money? Can I, can I, I'm just begging for alms. You with me? What does Peter and John do? Oh, they get out their wallet. They get a couple of 20s, throw it in the bucket and they go in to pray. No, that's not what happens, right? What happens? Silver and gold have I none, they say. But what I do have, what I do in the name of Jesus Christ, rise up and walk. So what happens? The guy goes, oh, I can walk. I can walk. Jeremiah 29, 11. No, 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 no. Here's why. Here's why. Because sometimes in our lives, guys, when we don't see it circumstantially, God still loves you. And you go, why? Because God will often give you the change you need, not the change you're asking for. The change he was asking for was change. I need change. I need money. And now guess what? The change that he needed, God gave him. He got up, he could get a job, he could make a living. Oftentimes, guys, right now in your circumstances, the change that you're asking for may not be what you get. He may give you the change you need. So, Ben, what's, what, what, what's, the, what's the end result? You ready? Stay with me. We're almost done here. Stay with me. You ready? If Jeremiah 29, 11 was that motivational verse, right, that we could use on a coffee cup and that we could use, I would have to ask our boy John the Baptist about it. You know who John the Baptist is, right? You know what, you know what Jesus said about John the Baptist? He was like the greatest prophet that ever lived. He was directly in God's will. And it didn't end well for him. And, and I mean, think about it. John the Baptist knew he knew Jeremiah 29. He said, Lord, though I know the plans you have for me, right? And yet, what happened? Why? Because it's not that verse that in the, in the midst of a trial, the midst of a situation, in the midst of horrible circumstances that we can quote. You go, well, Ben, what is it? You ready? For Israel, it was deliverance and redemption. For us, guys, it's spiritual deliverance and redemption. You see, things were really bad for Israel, weren't they? Horrible. Judgment. Well, there's a judgment that's coming to every unbeliever that's out there. You see, the Bible says that if you die in your sins, that you're going to be separated from the God that loves you forever. That's horrible judgment, especially when Jesus came to take that penalty. You with me? And there are people who go, ah, that's cool. Ah, nah, no, no, no. If you die in your sins, you will be separated for, and eternity is a long place. Pastor Ben, are you talking about hell? Yes, I'm talking about hell. It's a place where nobody wants to go. But you know what the deliverance is? 2,000 years ago, God bankrupted heaven for you and said, I'm going to send Jesus Christ so that you can be delivered. How so? Put your faith and trust in him. God, you don't know my circumstances. You don't know my issues. No, I don't need to. But I want to walk with you through those issues. Trust me. 
what, what, would, what would happen if God dealt with all our issues and we still didn't come to him? We'd be issue free in hell. So God wants to save you first and then he wants to deal with those things. Church, we all have issues. So he wants to deliver us and he wants to redeem us. See, listen, maybe you came here this morning honestly. Maybe you came here this morning and you're going, Ben, I feel like I'm a million miles away from God. I feel like I'm oceans away from God. I pray and I don't feel anything. I don't feel him anymore. Like I just, (sighs) can I tell you this? You may feel like you're oceans away from God, but you're one decision away from Jesus Christ. And listen, he does have a plan for you, a beautiful plan. So much so that he followed you all the way to church and he said, listen, here's what I want for you. He go, what do I have to do? Listen, you have to open up your heart and you have to invite him inside. You have to make that decision. Nobody can do it for you. God doesn't have any grandchildren. You can't come in off the skirts of your parents or your, or your spouse or anything else. It's you. It's between you and God. Pastor, what do I need to do? Open up your heart and invite him inside. Let him do the rest. Let him do the rest. Well, what steps do I need to take? Well, in a moment, I'm going to give you an opportunity. You go, what do I need to do? I'm going to have everybody close their eyes and bow their heads. And all you have to do is just lift up your hand if you want, if you want me to pray for you. Well, why do I have to lift up my hand? Here's what you're doing by lifting up your hand. You're saying, God, here's my heart. I'm lonely and I'm guilty and I'm, I'm far from you. And I want you to come in and I want you to save me. That's what you're doing. And that's between you and God. That's, that's Jeremiah 28, deliverance and redemption. It was for Israel, but it's for us. For us spiritually. Amen? Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word and the truth in your word. We love you so much. And with hearts and heads bowed to you, with eyes closed, maybe, Lord, maybe there's somebody here that's saying, God, please, I don't want to be far from you. I need that deliverance and I need that redemption. And I'm asking you. Hey, with every eye closed and every head bowed, how many would say, Pastor, pray for me? I want to be right with God. I want to be right with God. God bless you, sir. Anyone else, just lift up your hand. All you have to do, nobody will see you. It's between you and God. All you have to do is just go, Pastor, me. Me, I want to be right with God. I, I'm struggling and I'm, I'm, I'm just, I'm wayward, but I, I want to be right. I want to know him. All you have to do is just simply lift your hand and say, Pastor, pray for me. Will you do that right now? Anyone else? Anyone else? Will you do a quick spiritual inventory of your life and just kind of say, hey, where am I with you, God? Listen to what he's saying in your heart. And then surrender. It'll be the best decision you've ever made. Anyone else? Father, thank you, God, for the hands that were raised and the hearts that were changed. We just thank you for what you're doing. We thank you for where you're going. We love you, God. We thank you for your redemption and we thank you for your deliverance. It's in Jesus' name we pray.
Hey, this is Pastor Josh. I hope this message has encouraged you in your walk with Jesus. If it has, we would love to hear your story of how it has impacted you, or especially if you responded to the invitation to receive Jesus into your heart as your Lord and Savior. To get in touch or to receive more information, please contact us by phone at 806-799-2227 or send an email to calvarylubbock at hotmail.com. Again, that phone number is 806-799-2227. Also, if you want to partner with us financially to take the gospel to West Texas and the world, please click on the Donate button on calvarychapellubbock.org. Thanks for listening to the podcast. May God richly bless you.